From Murphy to Mancio, extraordinary athletes, coaches, administrators, and contributors have impacted the North Carolina sports landscape. For some, their talents left an indelible mark. So much so, they are enshrined in the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame. It's time to chat with one of those Hall of Famers who dared to be as tall and stately as our Longleaf Pines. Here is your host of 15 Minutes of Fame, Chris Edwards. Welcome to 15 Minutes of Fame. I'm Chris Edwards. Today on the podcast, I chat with former Duke Blue Devil Mike Jeminski, the 1979 ACC Player of the Year, who was a three-time All-ACC selection and enjoyed a 14-year NBA career. We talk about all of those things and what makes Mike such a successful broadcaster. All that with Mike Jeminski, a 2003 inductee of the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame. Mike, thank you so much for the time, and welcome to the podcast. Chris, it's a pleasure. Thank you for uh, thanks for having me on. You're originally from Connecticut, but obviously played college basketball at Duke. Take me through the recruiting process and how you eventually landed in Durham to play basketball. Well, I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version. Um, I, I may have been one of the first players to reclassify the, uh, you know, my league wasn't great that I was playing in in high school. And after my sophomore year, I made the decision that a freshman year in college would benefit me more than a senior year in high school. So after my sophomore year, I decided to, to graduate after my junior year. Um, I was starting to get recruited, but I, I let the schools that I wanted to know, uh, one of which was Maryland. And um, I went to basketball camp there in the summer. And as fate would have it, a guy named Terry Chili was the, uh, working as a counselor who was the center at Duke at the time. Saw me play, started chatting up Duke. I, you know, they weren't, I knew who they, you know, I knew the, the name, but uh, they weren't on my radar per se. And um, he, he convinced me to have, uh, you know, to meet the coaching staff. And uh, I did later on that summer, uh, Lou Getz and Bob Wenzel were the assistants and they came up to our, my house. And um, I, I actually, it was my first official visit that I took to, uh, to Duke was, it was a homecoming football game against Clemson. I fell in love with, the campus, um, I, you know, I really, really like Coach Foster, uh-huh. and I knew in my heart I made the decision when I got on the plane to go back home. Called the other schools and told them that uh, you know I was I was good to go. So, for some place that wasn't on my radar five months before, it became my home. You were a three-time All ACC selection at Duke, ACC Player of the Year in 1979. You know the history of the league as good, if not better, than anybody else and all the mm-hmm. players and the talent that have come through the ACC. To be the ACC Player of the Year, how much pride does that give you? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Chris, I go back to the fact that all the things that, I, that I've had individually, all those um, awards, recognitions, it's a team sport, you know, and and that group was so special to me and still is to this day. I mean, we're still as close as we were back in the late 70s. Um, so that, that's it's a reflection of us rather than me. Um, you know, I do. I was greatly honored to be chosen that that year. Um, we didn't have the best of seasons coming off of 78 that didn't really end well for us. But, um, you know, I. I the thing that I really got an appreciation for and it really grew was the the history of the league 
And, um, you know, who went before me, you know, Vic Bubis as the coach at Duke in the 60s. And um, and plus the, the league in general, um, there's just so much there to, to soak in. And I, you know, I just I'm, I'm fortunate that I can build on it every year now. Well, I'm kind of piggybacking on that and, you, and probably the same kind of general thought process, but you're still top 10 at Duke in a lot of major categories, points per game for your career, fifth most points ever scored in a Duke uniform. There have been a lot of really good players that have come through Duke. Is still prideful that, that you're in the top 10 in a lot of Duke records? Yeah, and um, I'll, I'll tell you a little story, which is something that's very touching to me, um, that... Uh, when when Johnny Dawkins broke my record in 86, I wrote him a, a letter. And fast forward to the night that J.J. Uh, Reddick was going to break his record. Um, I saw Johnny back in the in the hallway before the game. And he said um, he pulled the letter out and he said, Do you know what this is? And I said, no, I, you know, he said, this is the letter you wrote me when I broke your record. And then he pulled another letter out and he said, you know what this is? And he said, this is the letter I've written to JJ to give him after the game. And I broadcast that game. And uh, from where our position was, we were down behind, almost behind the visit, our bench. And JJ came off a screen on the baseline and I stood up and Johnny stood up on the bench and JJ made the shot that broke his record. It was really kind of surreal, but it was, you know, that's that's kind of what we're all about. That's awesome. Well, after you finished at Duke, drafted seventh overall in the first round of the 1980 NBA draft by the Nets, what do you remember about draft day and kind of getting going in professional basketball? Well, all I can rem- mostly I can remember that it wasn't like we didn't get new suits to wear. Well, <laughs> there wasn't a green room. Um, <laughs> you know, the whole day wasn't chronicled on YouTube or uh, whatever outlet was. You know, it was the the draft was actually held at a place called the Felt Forum, which was adjunct to the Madison Square Garden. And you know, they had a bunch of us in. Um, I, I remember the day vividly, and and the thing was that you know Michael Corin who. You know, we beat each other's brains in for four years, him going to Carolina and, uh, you know, maybe us being a part of that rivalry, you know, we're picked sixth and seventh by the Nets that year. And they took us across the river together. and We had a press conference and, you know, we've been fast friends ever since. I mean, we room together in training camp uh, every year. Um, you know, Michael is is very, very dear to me. Um, and that's a part of the rivalry I think that people don't really see. What do you think was the biggest transition for you, Mike, going from the college game to the NBA? I, Chris, I, I struggled. Um, I, I didn't struggle. I felt I was ready uh, physically, uh, mentally, emotionally for my jump from high school to college. But where it really caught up to me was going into into the pros. I, you know, I, I was twenty when I graduated, um, and just turned twenty one before training camp. And it's not like today where there are a lot of young players in the league. I mean, you know, we had the draft choices and then everybody was a grown man at 30 or, you know, 28 or 30 years old. So I, I struggled physically uh, for about three years before I started to feel comfortable. Um, And, you know, I had some health issues that I overcame in those early couple of years, but um, yeah, one, once once I got to my third season, I started to feel better. I mean, that that first year of going from college to 
82 games um, was uh, just almost overwhelming, but, uh, you know, not quite. Well, once you kind of got your sea legs under you, for lack of a better term, obviously had a great career, played 14 years in the NBA. Once you got going, what was the key to sustaining that success for those 14 years in the league? Well, I was I was very reliable once I got uh, like I said once I got comfortable and I started really weight training and you know I, I think for the stretch where I really played a lot of minutes that eight eight year stretch in between I played eighty games just about every year, mm-hmm. um, so that reliability and and like just like in college I mean I never I never really had monster games but I rarely had a really bad game. Um, and I was always kind of right around my average. And, you know, in that stretch, um, you know, I probably averaged like 16 and nine rebounds a game. Um, and I, you know, I would more times than that, I would be on the top side of that rather than underneath that. And I think that's what, you know, coaches appreciated about me was, you know, being reliable and being pretty steady. How did you see the game change over your time in the NBA? Um, it really changed after I left. Um, you know, I it was it was a much more physical league back in the eighties. Um, you know, things. Uh, you know, you go into this thing. You know, I, I look at players now and what's called a foul, and that wouldn't even be whistled. You know, you know, back then. And I hate to sound like my grandfather. You know, right now, but. It was. It was. It was a lot more physical, and then um, the the game evolved, and then the three point shot became more of a weapon. Uh, analytics started to take over. Um, you saw fewer and fewer post players, and it, and really the you know the Golden State Warriors with uh, you know with Steph Curry were kind of on the front end of that and now you see just a lot of teams play a, a wide open game with nobody in the post um it, it is completely different i want to go back to being consistent for a second you were an 84 percent career free throw shooter in the nba mm-hmm. uh, that's not something a lot of people can say i mean the free throws for a reason right well, what made you such a quality shooter from the stripe I just felt like it was an you know it was an it was an unguarded opportunity to score and I was pretty good at getting to the line and I I just felt, you know, for just about every team that I played for, I shot our technical fouls. Um, So, you know, between that and, um, you know, just saying, Hey, you know, rather than use this as a rest time, you know, I'm going to try to score. And uh, so I, I I really, that number got better when I was in the pros than when I was at Duke. Uh, but that was just through practice and, and reputation. The funny story with another Johnny Dawkins story, we were teammates at the Sixers with uh, Hersey Hawkins. And the three of us were high 80s, low 90s uh, free throw shooters. So um, we had this deal about shooting technicals that um, I, because of seniority, I started the year shooting all our technicals. As soon as I missed, then Johnny started shooting the technicals. And then when he missed, Hersey started. So we didn't we didn't cycle through, I think, but once that year. Um, it was it was a pretty good competition between amongst the three of us. That's awesome. Uh once you finished playing, you kind of you got into broadcasting. Obviously, I said a great broadcasting career. What was it about broadcasting that attracted you? I had um, you know, I, I felt like being on the other side of the microphone, especially in my years at Duke is where it started because after my freshman year in 78, there was so much national media attention that 
I got comfortable being on one side of the microphone. And, you know, I just, wherever I was in the pros, I was always kind of a go-to interview for, you know, a lot of the, you know, beat writers and, you know, I got to know them and, you know, just watching games. It felt, I felt like it was something that, uh, you know, that, that I could do. And, you know, the thing, Chris, that a lot of, a lot of players that become, um, become, you know, analysts, they forget how hard they worked as a player and they flame out pretty early. And I, I just, you know, I, I kept the same work ethic and uh, I wanted to, you know, be as, uh, uh, you know, really improve. And I found people to critique me, but um, it, it really has been such a natural fit for me. I never, I never had the urge to coach. So this was the next best thing to stay around the game for me. You've covered a lot of ACC. You've covered a lot of NCAA tournaments. What's the best game or team that you've covered, Mike? Well, I mean, I I had uh, I had the good fortune to cover the NCAA tournament with CBS for about fourteen years, and those those some of those first round games were you know spectacular. Um, you know, my, actually, my favorite thing, one of the things that I really love to do, um, is interview people. And my favorite thing of the year got to be um, at the end of the for the ACC championship. Once the game was over, I had the honor of, of interviewing the coach of the winning team. And that was the highlight of my year broadcasting. I mean, you get somebody, you know, you go through that tournament. I went through it three times, four times, you know, won it twice, was in the final three. So I, I know about the feeling. And, you know, even now when so much emphasis is placed on the NCAA tournament, that winning the ACC is still a huge deal for these coaches. And it was always fun to interview him. We'll kind of wrap up on this one. If you could go back and look at yourself at eight years old, knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself? Oh, boy. Um I would I would say the the best thing you know if, to get in if I'm going to be in team sports I want to be as good a teammate as I possibly can be um, I want to be consistent and I want to be humble um, throughout everything that I do and understand that you know the individual glory you know I I told the guys on the um, on the 2010 um, Duke championship team. Yeah, I said, I, you know, I was standing with him and I pointed up to my jersey that's retired. And I said, you know what? I'd trade that for your national championship banner in a heartbeat. Um, and, you know, that that would be, I think, the the goals that I set for myself to, you know, obviously the better I am, the better our team is going to be. But uh, winning championships would have been awfully special. That's a perfect place to end. Mike, thank you so much for the time and all you do for the Hall of Fame. Thank you, Chris. Great to have Mike Jeminski on the podcast and great to have you with us on 15 Minutes of Fame. Until next time, I'm Chris Edwards. Thanks for listening.